Good morning, friends. It's really wonderful to have you with us this Sunday morning at Sunnyville Church. My apologies that we don't have a projector today. I, we do have a, a new one on the way, so God willing, we'll have it there for us next week. Meanwhile, you're doing well. Don't make all the extra bits of paper and card and so on in front of you. My apologies for that. Uh, but one thing I would love to make sure you have in front of you is the scriptures, is the Bible. Open that up and have it there with you. It is a longer passage. You might want to remember we began this passage last week with Jesus meeting uh, what was actually more than a group, probably, of 5,000 people uh, on the hillside. Uh, the crowd had come after him, uh, hungry for more, and we're picking it up from verse 25 uh, and through to the end. We did look a little bit at a few of those verses that we skim over. But because it is a longish passage, and I'll be diving into just a few select bits, it'll be very handy uh, for you to have it there, and it will certainly not be. Dearest Father, you are gracious and generous, and yet so often our eyes look straight past what you offer to us, and we focus our hunger and our longing for other things. Father, we do ask that you might focus our attention, our sight, our appetite on the Lord Jesus this morning, and all that you provide us. I wonder if you're familiar, I'm sure you are, with the phrase, you are what you eat, you are what you eat. I was looking up where that phrase began to be used uh, this past week, and I'll read for you uh, the earliest uh, occurrence of that phrase I could find, which is from an 1885 edition of an English magazine, the author Grant Allen, writing about pagan attitudes towards the food that they eat. I'll read a paragraph for you, uh, and you might pick up on that phrase, you are what you eat, towards the end of this paragraph. He wrote, it's a little bit quirky, from 1885, when you shoot a tiger, it is a good plan to eat his heart, because tigers are very brave, and their hearts will increase your bravery. On the other hand, it is not well to eat the heart of a hare, for it is ingrained, its ingrained cowardice may succeed in making you equally timid. But you may safely eat his legs or his thighs, for those will give you his well-known strength and speed in running. That you are what you eat is a piece of simple and elementary physiological knowledge. Uh, maybe not the kind of physiological, physiological knowledge we kind of stake our hopes on nowadays. Of course, more contemporary uses of this phrase, you are what you eat, are perhaps a little bit less superstitious, while still highlighting this truth that what we consume can often have profound shaping and forming upon us. We'll come back to that idea as we work through today's passage and Jesus used this eating and hunger metaphor that we were introduced to last week. You might remember that from following on from last week, Jesus is being pursued by a hungry crowd. A crowd hungry not so much for Jesus himself, but for the bread that he miraculously provided for them. On the hillside. To this flock of famished followers, Jesus had issued a warning. I wonder if you remember it. It was down there in verse 27. Just remind yourself there. That's on your sheet as well. There's a service outline sheet with a few of the things that I'm saying if you'd like to keep that in mind as well. In verse 27, Jesus had warned them as they were coming to him for a second round of that bread 
He said, don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life. It's rather an enigmatic phrase, saying, don't come to me chasing after another, you know, ghost serving the barley bread. Come to me for food that's going to endure from this moment <coughs> and eternity. Just as Moses had given bread manna to sustain God's people in the wilderness as they journeyed to the promised land, Jesus is offering a food same here that will sustain them as they journey into eternal life itself. Uh, Jesus continues on with this kind of idea just to remind you in verse 33. Let's down to verse 33 uh, and remind you as to how it leads into today's passage. Jesus said to them, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, the crowd said, Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life, Jesus insists. It's not simply that Jesus has the capacity, what he does, it's not just that he has the capacity to cater to our own hungering, our own longings that we Rather, he's saying that he himself is to be what we hunger for. He himself is to somehow satisfy in a way that endures from the present moment and all the way into eternity. Now, later, later Jesus is going to speak figuratively of us eating him, feeding on him. Is it only spiritual satisfaction that is being offered to us in Jesus as the bread of life? Or is it physical and bodily satisfaction as well of, of some kind? Curiously, I wonder if you notice there in verse 35, you might have glanced down at it. Jesus doesn't claim that it's those who eat him who will never die. Nor does he say that it's those who drink him
faith on him in your hearts by faith. That is to feed on Jesus in your hearts by believing, by trusting, and in thanksgiving. Jesus is offering out the same kind of Exactly what kind of nutritional value is it that we might find from feeding on Christ in our hearts by faith? Exactly which of our so-called spiritual dietary needs are being met in Jesus? Uh, if you've ever you know, bought something from the shopping centre, some of us probably have to be a bit more careful about this, a bit more mindful of this than others. You've got your nutritional information on, on the back of the pack. And if you've got something, have some aspect of your diet that's a little bit low or a little bit lacking, you might look for that food that's going to particularly address that dietary requirement. Now, some people have dietary deficiencies to do with calcium or magnesium that impacts the development of their teeth and their body. Others might have vitamin D deficiencies, deficiency that impacts the effectiveness of how our cells operate. Others might have iron deficiency that impacts our blood production, impacts our energy, our vitality. So what dietary deficiencies might feeding on Jesus by faith actually address for us? What nutritional benefits do we gain by our feeding on, by our coming to and believing in Jesus? Is it only spiritual benefits or some bodily or physical benefits? Is there only some vague notion of a future benefit to our soul? Or also the satisfaction of some present bodily comfort and rest? First, Jesus does highlight, and I've got a bit of a diagram on the sheet to show you for reflecting on here. Jesus, first of all, does highlight a spiritual nourishment, a nourishment of the soul that is already ours in the present and will continue unfailingly. Have a look there in there, verse 37. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 37 is what I'm thinking of Jesus' words after. Jesus says, All those the Father gives me will come unto me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven to do, uh, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those that he has given me. <coughs> when the Father draws someone to Jesus, when the Father gives someone to Jesus, we are assured that Jesus will never drive them away. We are assured that Jesus will never lose them. Whether or not they realize it, those who feed on Christ are nourished by an unshakable assurance, are comforted by an unassailable relational security in our dealings with God the Father. An assurance that feeds us both now in the present and into eternity as well. An assurance grounded in the Father's giving and drawing and the Son's receiving. Notice that we don't really factor in that sentence at all. It's a father that gives and draws. It's a son that keeps and never lives. Is that not food fit to nourish you in the most anxious 
to Jesus, to come to Jesus, to believe on Jesus, is to nourish our fearful and doubting hearts with the assurance and certainty that God the Father's unwavering commitment to us will never fail. And Jesus exercising the Father's will, keeping us likewise. Assurance like that is a dietary deficiency in your own diet of Perhaps you have a tendency to read your relational dynamics to other people into your relationship with God as well. All the relational uncertainties, obligations, doubts, fears, grief. Do you read that back and imagine that that's true? Perhaps fixate on how you might play some part in unraveling God the Father's commitment to you. Or undoing Jesus' capacity to keep you holy. You perhaps turn to other dietary supplements, your own spiritual performance, to give a boost to your spiritual assurance. Your progress in your own character and growing in faith and imagine that that will be what sustains the standard of your faith. This passage is saying feed on the bread of life. Come to, look to, feed on the Lord Jesus in your hearts by faith that you might be sustained in the standard of your faith. Those who are gives, never lose. Those father draws, Jesus will never send away. But it's not only a present and future hunger for assurance, a spiritual kind of satisfaction that Jesus promises to be as the bread of life. I think often we read through this passage, it happened with a couple of uh, my growth groups this week, we thought, oh yeah, it's just a spiritual kind of hunger that's being satisfied in this passage. No, actually not so. Have a look at me. You'll have to take your Bibles up and uh, you'll have to bear with me as I try and make sure I'm finding this way around. Uh, have a look with me, first of all, to the end of verse 39, where Jesus writes, And not only will he not lose us, but he will raise them up on the last day. And then again in verse 44, end of verse 44. says, I will raise them up in the last day. And then again in verse 54, end of verse 54. And I will raise them up at the last day. Uh, I know I've said exactly the same thing, X three times. I'm not trying to show you something new in each of those verses, but just to show you Jesus keeps coming back. That part of being fed and nourished, feeding on the Lord Jesus by faith, has real global and physical consequences. That is a share in the resurrection life. It is not simply spiritual sustenance alone that we are promised when we feed on Jesus in faith, when we come to him believing. When we feed on the Lord Jesus, when we come to him, when we look to him, when we believe on him, it will mean new physical life for these weary
for their bodily thirsts on the last day will be quenched. Those who feed on Jesus by faith will be raised in body from the dead. I wonder if perhaps this is your dietary deficiency in your own Catholic Bodily frailty and mortality, a grief over your own an anxiety perhaps of body and mind that leaves you hungry and longing for peace. A chronic pain that leaves you unable to give attention to or taste any delight in the world around about you, the good things that God has always given you. An aging body that is a daily reminder perhaps of your own mortality, that time and opportunity will run out. If any of these are your own dietary deficiencies, so to speak, feed on Jesus in your hearts by faith. And our hope for these physical bodies, as much as our souls, will be nourished and sustained. Uh, in verse 51, I wonder if you notice, Jesus claims to be sufficient to satisfy the whole world's longings and hunger. I'll read it out again for us. Verse 51. Uh, Jesus says, This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Really? That's a, that's a pretty big claim, isn't it? How can one lone man be sufficient to satisfy the whole world's insatiable hunger for life? Think about it. All of creation is all of the environment is buckling under the weight of human appetites. Isn't that true? Our own longing for the kinds of foods that we want, for the kind of prosperity we want. All of the entire creation doesn't seem to be able to bear the weight of our appetites. How on earth can one man bear the weight of our own hunger and our own longings and our own appetites? I think Jesus would actually be
but you feel that it's your own life. The one who feeds on Jesus will actually share you. He is being right now nourished by the very life of God in front of us. And it's this thought, actually, I think, that ultimately offends and spoils the hungry crowd's appetite for Jesus. They were craving Jesus at the start of the passage. They wanted everything he had to offer, but by the end of it, almost none of them, even some of the twelve, don't really have an appetite for Jesus any longer. Have a look at me at verse 60. So after Jesus, this is remember here, Jesus has just been speaking about him being able to share with others what the Father shares with him. And the response is, verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this affect you? Then what if you see the Son of Man speaking of himself, ascend to where he was before, speaking there about Jesus returning to God the Father who he belongs with? Verse 63, Jesus says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh, that is human strength, counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. See, the crowds were not turned off Jesus because they imagined that he's peddling some kind of creepy, animalistic superstition. I think that's what we think is the hard teaching when we're reading this passage. I don't think that's what they were most afraid Jesus has already been explicit that this feeding on him simply means to look to him, to come to him, to believe on him. But the crowds, and even many of Jesus' own disciples, are offended and ultimately turned away from him because he claimed to be what? The very life of Because he claimed that every word he spoke was marinated in the life-giving power of God's Spirit. And they could have stopped that. How astounding that more than 5,000 hungry souls could crave after just mere Bible loads of fishes. Followed Jesus all around the lake just to have another Bible that's also pretty And yet turn up their Perhaps if you've ever had to engage kids in eating a meal, maybe you've taken the whole family or you've been out with family or nephews and nieces to a special restaurant and you thought, okay, on this occasion we're going to splurge a bit, we've bought something nice, only to have it put in front of the kids and have them turn up the notes. Now we just want chicken nuggets, um, and maybe some hash browns, chips, whatever, but none of the good stuff. And isn't that so often? to us is so rich and beyond what we can sustain that we can barely imagine that we might just walk in and just make some bread. And Jesus is quite sobering passage there, towards the end of the passage, the chapter. Jesus says to his disciples, uh, as everyone else is leaving, decides they don't like what Jesus had to offer. And he says to them, You don't want to leave too. Jesus hadn't simply been offering his flesh, biologically speaking, mere human tissue. He fully embodied God himself. He still is offering himself, the very 
looked at. Peter recognizes something of what Jesus is actually offering them. Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the one who God has set aside to give and reveal yourself to us. Where else are we going to go? Who else? we come to believe and know also as we feed on Christ in our hearts by faith. That we might have assurance, satisfied and complete, knowing that those in the dark will be the same. <coughs> that our weary and aching and hungry bodies might be satisfied, knowing that they'll be raised on the last day when we come to the first next. Dearest Father, we have been moved and directed by so many different appetites over the last week. Even now, Father, we have appetites arising from within, no Father, that we will be greeted by even more of this coming week. And yet, Father, we ask that you might teach us to hunger, not for that which comes spoil. That will leave us hungry again, exactly the same way this time, next Sunday, next week. But teach us to hunger for the Lord Jesus, who feeds us with an assurance that will never fail us, a relational security that can never be undone or unraveled. Who, in his own sharing of his resurrection life, will address equally not just our souls, but these frail and weary and hungry bodies as well. Satisfying them in full in the promised share in Jesus' resurrection. Father, we ask that you might feed us, that we might look to your Son, 